Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the special edition of the Forest Teens Fire American Soccer Show here, post-game show the United States, just inside the final moments of regulation in this CONCACAF Nations League semifinal. They defeat Honduras by final of a goal to nil by Jordan Sibichu. And you know what? I got to tell you, I thought this was a very exciting match. Both sides gave it their all. No quarter given, no quarter taken. Both sides deserve to give um, an immense pat on the back. But a late goal from the United States puts them into the final. And, of course, later tonight, it will be Mexico taking on Costa Rica. Joining me on post game tonight, I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I have Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk, Honduran reporter, Eduardo Solano joining me. First things first, Eduardo, I want to go to you. Um, you know, I have to say, Honduras, uh, great effort tonight. Honduras looked good out there. I would say that they were playing against the press and going for the counters most of the time, but they were clogging up the middle of the pitch, and I really, really thought that they were going to steal this one tonight from the United States. Well, um, we were expecting like something like this, taking in consideration that the Honduran team has a lot of experience. You know, they've been playing together for a long time. So coming into this game against a team that was basically put together, like, recently, and uh, with a whole bunch of young kids, even though they they have so much quality, right? For us, experience was going to be, like, a key factor and um, we were hopeful that we were going to get the result today. Um, I don't know. It, it's just one of those situations that happen um, all the time with the Honduran soccer. Like the last five to ten minutes of the games is always the same situation. It happened with uh, Jorge Luis Pinto. Uh, it happens with every single coach that um, works with the national team. Those ten minutes, uh, those last ten minutes of the games, they always kill us. But I'm very happy with the performance. You know, I'm I'm excited about the future. I'm pretty sure uh, Honduras is not going to have any problems if they continue playing like this uh, to qualify to the World Cup. So uh, you know, this is just some a performance uh, to build on the future of the national team. So uh, I'm pleased. I'm a little disappointed that we lost because I think we. It was a game that was um, for either way, for either side. Um, but, you know, like having that huge amount of quality on the field, it ended up making a, a difference. So I'm good with the performance. Cardick, mm-hmm. uh, on the USA's uh, side of things, I thought an excellent opening 45, maybe a little bit lagging in the second half. Defensively, they looked a little lost. I mean, they were allowing... Honduras to get behind them, even though Honduras did not convert any of their chances. 
But I felt that after an excellent opening 45, um, I, I just felt that they were lacking defensively in the second half. Some good moments by Stefan in goal, which I was amazed he didn't really get much to, much minutes for Manchester City this season, even though he is a Premier League winner. Um, but that late goal by Jordan Sibichu uh, was a thing of beauty, fantastic job by Brooks to McKenney, and then McKenney finds Sibichu with a power header to get the victory and the only goal of the match inside regulation time. Yeah, and, and really, Jordan uh, Sibichu showing, showing you what the loan system can do in Europe, because... Uh, a uh, player I've, I've tracked for a long time. Uh, he was fairly good with Ren two seasons ago in Liga. Uh, last season, terrible. And obviously, COVID happened too. And in, in Liga, unlike the other major European leagues, didn't resume their season. They called their season in March. Um, but I thought he was done. And, you know, he was a guy that uh, Berhalter, excuse me, actually was Dave Sarkin was still the manager that had approached about switching. He was a, he's a dual national, right? French and American. Uh, switching from France to the U.S. Uh, in 2018, he had, you know, turned it down, wanting to see maybe, maybe he could work his way into the France team. Look, you could be the, you could be like the 15th best player in the world and not be in the France team right now. France is so loaded. Uh, not, this isn't a Euro pod, but you know, looking forward to the Euros. I, mean, I, I can't get over how many, how stacked that France team is, and how many good French players aren't even on that national team. But Sibichu takes the loan, right, to, 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 to young boys this season in Switzerland. They have a good run in the Europa League, and he and they play very well in the league. They win the league. He works his way back into form, and at that point, he realizes, you know, France is the World Cup winner. They're, they're the favorites for the Euros. He's never going to work his way into that, that national team. So, Berhalter got him to switch, and very timely, because I think um, the U.S., has for all the hype out there about this U.S. team. And I watch these guys every week in Europe, and I know I, I pour a little bit of salt on the, all the talk of how great Pulisic is or how great Reina is. Um, the U.S. has a problem at number nine. I, I, I love Josh Sargent's work rate. I've watched him with Bremen this season and last season. He does everything well, you know, holds the ball up well, can bring his teammates into play, makes the right runs, can find space but he's a terrible finisher. And it's now something that's gone on for two seasons in Germany where he is finishing. Um, you know, we hear people pick on Timo Werner, right? We've heard a lot of that the last, last couple months, uh, people watching, but I mean, Sargent is similarly, um, he's Sargent needs about five or six chances to score a goal typically from Bremen. So getting to be, to Baju to switch, I think was really tactical from Berhalter and then bringing him on late on in this match. Um, he was looking for the match winner. And um, the other guy, I think, played a major role when he came on was Brendan Aronson. I mean, at that point, before the U.S. makes those, that, that triple sub, uh, I think Honduras is going to go on and push and win this match in 90 minutes. So the more experienced side, uh, I agree with you, Daniel. First half, U.S. was probably slightly better. I would say from minutes 45 to minutes 75, I didn't see any outcome in this match other than Honduras nicking a goal. I think there were some issues with Honduras going forward in terms of them bunching up on the pitch, you know, making the wrong decision in the final third. Um, Stefan, yes, made some nice saves, but I, I think Honduras should have had a goal in that period. And uh, these changes kind of changed the match. And then I think also fitness issues, right? We saw guys cramping up. We saw a few injuries for, for Honduras. Um, so this, this match was a toss of the coin, and, and the U.S. got from Sabachu, who I wanted to highlight, um, that, that important touch that won them the game. But it, it really was uh, 
a very balanced match. First half slightly to the U.S., second half I think heavily to Honduras, 45 to 75. But then 75 to 90, I'd say the U.S. were maybe slightly better. So on the surface, basically a 50-50 match. No, I agree. I definitely a 50-50 match, Cardick. I mean, to me, this was going to be a toss-up um, depending on who was going to get a goal. And, of course, as they said, there would have been no extra time in this one if this was going to be leveled at nil-nil. And it would have gone straight into penalties. And then, of course, you have to wait and see what was going to happen there. But we didn't get to penalties. And the United States wins by final of one goal to nil. Um, Eduardo, I have to say for Honduras' midfield, uh, Perea, Alvarez, Figueroa, Rodriguez, I-, I thought they were strong in the midfield, um, especially in the second half. I thought that they were playing strongly defensively, looking for the counter. Um, I should say, I'm sorry, that's the back line. I thought they were doing well as well, the back line, I should say. But, I mean, the midfield was also doing very well. I thought, you know, Rivas, Flores, Lopez, and Rubio, and, of course, some of the substitutions that Honduras did make in the matchup, um, they were stealing balls, they were counter-pressing, they were attacking. I really thought Honduras was up to the task tonight. I know what you said uh, uh, when I asked you the opening question, but um, still, you, you really have to say Honduras is a threat for one of those top three automatic spots in the octagonal uh, this upcoming September in World Cup qualifying, which will be a sprint and not a marathon. You know, I'm very happy with the way they play, especially um, Davy Flores. Um, I don't know if you remember, but he came uh, very young to play with uh, Vancouver Whitecaps. He didn't have a lot of success, not because of his lack of quality or talent. It was more because of his, the mental aspect. Um, so I was very pleased with the way he played. And it made me think that he was doing it the same way he plays in the Honduran National League, you know, the level might be might be lower, like way lower. For him, it was just another game. I wasn't happy with the performance from uh, Rubio and Rivas. I was expecting way, way more from them. Uh, I think Alvarez was a pretty good. Choco um, Lozano, we have, like, high hopes when it comes to Choco Lozano because we see him scoring in, in Spain. Scoring against Real Madrid, he already scored like three goals, four goals against Real Madrid. We saw him scoring against Barcelona. Like having those huge performances in Europe. But when it comes to the national team, it seems like he never gave the country what we expect from him, what we know that he can give us. Uh, Defensively, Minor Figueroa, you know, he's, he's the man, he's the boss, he's the captain, he's a legend, he's still playing, he's still um, giving his old. Uh, but they need to find somebody else to play alongside uh, Minor Figueroa because even though Pereira is pretty good, he has those uh, um, issues with his uh, muscles all the time. It happens in Honduras, it happens with the national team. He's missing uh, final games in Honduras because a muscle situation. So uh, this is something that ends up affecting to the national team because, you know, they got to make so many changes. And also, I love the way that uh, this little kid, uh, Diego Rodriguez, played today. He plays for Motagua, which is the team that I follow. He doesn't really get a lot of playing time with Motagua, but Fabian Coito loves him. And every time he plays, 
he has a good performance. So we'll see what's going to happen with this Honduran team. But it's very promising. And actually, we changed the way we play. Even though we're still very physical, now it seems like we try to attack, you know, and we try to put more players with the quality to go and try to score. So um, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the future, and I'm pretty sure – this game against Costa Rica, we're going to get the W, I, I'm sure. I bet you will, but let me just say this, uh, Eduardo. You know, sometimes when nobody watches the Champions League, you have to watch the CONCACAF Champions League because obviously clubs like Marathon, Motagua, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Olympia, you know, these are the three big staple clubs of the Honduran First Division. You know, what they have accomplished and what they have done in Honduras, of course, in international competition when it comes to the CONCACAF League and the CONCACAF Champions League. You know, these are the players you have to watch out for if they are going to be on the national team of Honduras, as you have seen uh, so many times. That's true. Um, basically, uh, the national team is always a mix from... Motagua, Olympia, like one or two from Marathon and two from Real España. The goalie is from Real España. And this kid, too, he, he got like a few minutes, uh, Joe Benavides. I think he's pretty good on the ball. He's very confident. He's uh, one of those uh, players that um, people have a lot of faith on his talent, but he hasn't um, really shown it. But now that he's getting playing time – with the national team, I'm pretty sure he's going to uh, grow up and show uh, everybody what he's capable. Um, but, yeah, you got you got to check those teams. you got to check Real España, Maratón, Motagua in order for you to have an idea of the key players from the national team. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that's the one thing you have to do when you're watching international competition. You've got to watch international club competition if you're able to because those are the players that makes up the opponents against the United States. And, Carter, to talk about some of the players, I really thought the midfield was very strong today. <coughs> Excuse me, bringing up the ball, um, especially from Giovanni Reina and Christian Pulisic. I thought those two were the big keys, of the big cogs in the midfield to bring in the attacking section of the midfield. And, my God, Giovanni Reina, Cardick. How in the hell he not score after making at least two to three different juke moves in tight space? He just nearly barely missed. Exactly, Eduardo. He barely misses that back post because that should have been 1-0 U.S. right there. How he was able to make those moves in tight spaces, and he just barely missed. Yeah, I think before we get to Gio Reyna, I want to mention, Eduardo mentioned Lozano. Uh, I, I watched Hirona, who he used to play for. He's with Cadiz now, but I watched Hirona very closely. That's probably the club I follow the closest in Spain. And he is such a frustrating player. I mean, and I can, I can sense your frustration also, Eduardo, with him with the national team. I mean, he does so many things well in, in, in 90 minutes. And then the next 90 minutes for Hirona, he's – you know, he's absent. He, 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 he's a liability. It's like you're playing – he's a passenger. You're playing with 10 men. So, um, again, today, you know, I, I see the same thing. So, I, I totally emphasize with you and, and how good and about him because I've, I've seen him at his best. Uh, and he's, he's a phenomenal player when he's on. 
Uh, you mentioned against Real Madrid, against Barcelona. There are also matches where he just he just takes the night off. So uh, he's a guy I'm frustrated with and have watched closely for a few years. So agree with you on that. On to Gio Reyna. Um, yeah, he has – I've watched him at Dortmund this season. As the season wore on, he seemed to be wearing down in terms of his, his fitness level. So it was good to see him go um, 70-some minutes today, make that move, his technical, technical ability is great, and he has really benefited from playing with um, Marco Royce, Erling Holland, and Jaden Sancho at, at, at Dortmund because he's finding little pockets of space. He's, being able, he's been able to do some things uh, on the ball which have improved his, his ball skills. And, yeah, that was, a, that was a phenomenal move. And I think the U.S. Um, the U.S. midfield or attacking midfield side looked good. But I have to say, at the same time, I think – uh, and especially when you're playing uh, against a veteran Honduran team with the likes of a uh, minor Figueroa, who has been one of the top players in CONCACAF for 15 years, you have to have some solidity in central midfield. And today the U.S. was not good in central midfield. Um, and no. that's something that um, Greg Verhalter is going to need want to address. Look, we know how good Tyler Adams is. Daniel, every time I'm on your show, we talk about him. Um, and I, I and I, I've seen what uh, it'd be great to see him reunited with Jesse Marsh and what they do this year at Leipzig. I've, I've seen him with Nagelsmann the last few years at Leipzig. He can play in multiple roles, an evolution of what he did here with the Red Bulls. Uh, but he he consistently is getting injured, and the U.S. doesn't seem to have another solution at at, at, at the number six role, at the holding midfield role right now. And you saw. What, pockets and pockets of space. I shouldn't say pockets. There were more than pockets. There were like these huge gaps of space that, that the Honduran attackers very adroitly, particularly after halftime, exploited. Jackson Ewell perennially out of position. Weston McKinney having to chase, um, I think having to maybe do too much. At times you were seeing John Brooks um, having to step out of, um, out, out of defense and try and uh, pick up a runner, uh, a midfield runner from Honduras. So yeah, well, he said the midfield, the, uh, Reyna and Pulisic further forward played well. I agree with that. I, I think the central midfield situation for the U.S., uh, when Tyler Adams is not there, is, is, a, is a major, major liability and in going into World Cup qualifying. So that's, that's really one of the, the negatives of this match was, again, uh, Jackson Ewell, and uh, we didn't get to see enough of Kellen Acosta. Maybe, maybe Verhalter should have made that switch a little earlier, um, but he, you know, he wanted to hold, hold the sub. I'm agree with that. Yeah, and that's very yeah. good point. And I mean, Eduardo has seen Tyler too. You know, he also watches Red Bulls matches with me. Yeah, so yeah, of course. He knows what Tyler can do. Actually, actually, I was very surprised that they decided to play uh, Jackson Jewel because I think he has like different qualities. I think he's more like an offensive player. Uh, I don't think he, he is that good on that uh, uh, number six. I, I would I would rather play uh, Kelly Nacosta. I think he's pretty good, and he's been playing for the national team at a very high level. Uh, but uh, you know, sometimes you see the coaches making these uh, changes and substitutions and replacing players, and sometimes it doesn't make sense. And on that position, like United States don't, doesn't really have a player close to what um, um, Tyler Adams can can give them. And they missing they missing him today. With Tyler Adam on the mid battling like these players from Honduras, it will be another story today. 
Absolutely. And I mean, Tyler Adams, yeah, Daniel, like I said, Cardick, you know this. We all know this. That. Daniel, yeah. to follow up on that. Edward was absolutely right. The other thing about Adams is, and I'm not trying to knock the intelligence of other U.S. players, because clearly the U.S. has some very good players. But there is no one in the national team player pool, including Christian Pulisic, who gets all these accolades, and Gio Reyna, who we just talked about. There is no one who reads the game as quickly at as high a level in the U.S. player pool as Tyler Adams. There is no one who understands what's coming in front of him and can make decisions as smartly and as quickly as Tyler Adams. So when you take him out of the team, you're also losing sort of uh, you know, your most intelligent. He's not N'Golo Conte, but he's, an, he's the American version of that, right? You need a guy that can read the game uh, like a Makaleli or like uh, even Wilson Palacios used to for, uh, for uh, Honduras, Honduras back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So that, you take Adams out of the team, you don't have that. And I think the U.S. got away with it today. Maybe we're lucky to win. And uh, if, if Adams isn't fit during qualifying, I think there are going to be some long nights like this where uh, another bounce of the ball and, and, and you find yourself uh, uh, losing a match like this. And, and that's the reason yep. because Not. they're still waiting for him. Because, you know, another coach, they will just replace him from the team. But they believe so much in Tyler Adams that they don't care to risk it. They just gone away until the last minute because they're really hoping that he can play. Yeah, yeah. and that's the truth yeah. because we don't we, right now. You know, there's not going to be another Tyler Adams unless someone really steps up and finds a way to unseat his spot, Cardick. And that's why Tyler Adams is waiting right now. Or not, he's, of course, he's waiting, but so is Burhalter. Burhalter's waiting for Tyler to be fully fit and thrown back in there. I remember back yeah. in the day where Burhalter forced him to be a, a right fullback, which is, that is not his position at all. And they made him into that, you know, two-way right fullback to go, you know, back and forth up the – uh, on the wing, and I'm like, that's that's not where you put him. That's not where he's where he's comfortable, and that's not that's not his job. And you know, you've seen like we've said already, what he's done with the New York Red Bulls under Jesse Marsh, what he's done over in Leipzig uh, at times. You know, scoring that big Champions League goal in the quarterfinals of the, you know, um, back against Atletico Madrid, obviously, which was amazing to see him. Of course. Uh, the only American player to score in a CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal and a UEFA Champions League quarterfinal. You know, Tyler Adams is something special to watch if you have not seen him play uh, for club football or even national team football, guys. And, you know, that's the one thing that, you know, um, the U.S. really needs desperately and to help with the back line when they're pushing forward. They need Tyler Adams back out there, and hopefully he'll be ready to go uh, against Mexico uh, in the final on Sunday, or it could be Costa Rica. They will be playing uh, that match uh, next on uh, both CBS Sports Network and, of course, uh, Paramount Plus app on your smartphones, and um, we'll get to the TV situation in a moment. But, uh, Eduardo, I have to say, uh, for Honduras, um, your goalkeeper, Honduras' goalkeeper, Lopez, um, fantastic match he had. Unfortunate, he was beat on the goal late in the match tonight, but I have to say that against Pulisic, against Reyna, against the attack in that opening 45, he was really something special in goal, Lopez. And, you know, I I have to say, uh, maybe I wouldn't say it was a little hairy for him, 
But definitely, I thought Lopez had a strong game in goal for Honduras. Unfortunately, he just couldn't move on the Sebechu uh, goal late in regulation. And actually, a lot of people were questioning if he should play it because the goalkeeper from Honduras, uh, from Olympia, Edric Menhivar, uh, he's been playing uh, sensational. Like you see him playing in the national tournament, and he's just good. Uh, when they play the Champions League or or any tournament uh, with his club, like he always have these great uh, performances. So um, there was a lot of division in the country, and even uh, the media was questioning like who should play. And uh, personally, I was expecting to see uh, Menhivar, but. Um, I, th- I think he did pretty good, he, and he shows why uh, different coaches, they, they trust him, and they make him the number one goalie in the country. So uh, I'm expecting him to have more performances like this in the future. Um, and, and today he, he was great, especially in the first half where he had a lot of a lot of work to do. Yeah, he really was, Eduardo. And I have to say, if, you know, if there's going to be one of those moments – that Honduras is going to steal a point on the road or even three points on the road for World Cup qualifying. And if he is your goalkeeper for the tournament, for the octagonal qualifiers in September, I, I would be a little nervous as an uh, opponent against Honduras that you know, they may steal some points on the road, especially against some of the big boys like Mexico, like the U.S., uh, we'll see what happens. Of course, World Cup qualifying still going on in CONCACAF. The first round will uh, is continuing. Some matches last night, matches again tomorrow night and Friday and over the weekend. Uh, this is going to be something special to see who's going to advance from the first round to the second round for goal aggregate to second round qualification. Um, you know, Cardick uh, with the U.S., give credit to Josh Sargent on that run back saving a goal from the from Honduras because let me say this Zach Steffen my only issue with Zach Steffen is he did not he's not the starting goalkeeper at Manchester City Man City has to put him on loan you can't just use him for FA Cups or for side tournaments like the like you know the uh, League Cup FA Cup he's got to he's got to be playing you brought him over for a reason you gotta, he's got to be playing somewhere else now. He's got to be on loan somewhere because if you're not going to use him, then it makes, no sense to, it makes no sense for Burhalter to use him. And let me just say this. He made some good saves here, and some of the chances I think were half chances. But when you put yourself into no man's land, that's when I get worried about his decision-making and his positioning at the same time. He is great as a shot stopper, Zach Steffen. I think he's very, very athletic, you know, a little bit of Tim Howard here and there. But in all honesty, decision-making and positioning, I feel, are still his weaknesses. And he put himself into no man's land. And if it's not for Josh Sargent, it's 1-0 Honduras. There, um, you mentioned he didn't play very much for Man City this season. But there are two specific matches. Uh, there are two matches where he, uh, he did start and made uh, pretty – uh, serious errors. So the first match uh, was a Premier League match against Chelsea. Frank Lampard was still in charge of Chelsea. Stefan starts because Ederson has COVID. And within the first five minutes, he comes out of his area and handles the ball and maybe should have been sent off. Uh, got a yellow card. 
got away with it, Man City win the match. So uh, De Bruyne was brilliant that day. So they, they, it didn't affect them. Uh, but it was, it was a nervous sign. Then there's the FA Cup semifinal, which I think a lot of people watched. Again, Chelsea, Manchester, Chelsea and Manchester City were playing constantly this season. <laughs> Just played three days ago, right, in the Champions League final. But um, in that match, um, Hakeem Ziyech uh, uh, made a run, and, uh, and Stefan reacted to it late, and, um, and uh, Ziyech scored the winning goal. And Taylor Tolman was on co-commentary for that match for ESPN. It was John Champion and Taylor Tolman, the team we're familiar with. And Tolman just eviscerated Stefan, which has a lot of U.S. men's national team fans going to Twitter attacking Tolman. Like, oh, how can he say this about our guy? But um, I don't know if it's Russ because he's not playing regularly or if he's, he, he's a guy that makes slow decisions. Because quite honestly, I've seen him even when he was playing regularly at Columbus you know, he's a good playing out of the back, and he's perfect in Verhalter's system for that. But he's, he's kind of slow with his decision-making when the play is coming toward him. We saw that again tonight, right? And as you said, without that uh, goal line clearance, it's 1-0 Honduras. And I, I think when you talk about an experienced side like Honduras, unless they would have wilted because of the, the fitness issues, um, they're also an older side at this point, at least the, the side that was thrown out tonight, a lot of the guys. I think that's game set and match. They probably see it out. So, yeah, Zach Steffen is a concern. And, and you said he hasn't played much at Manchester City, which is correct. But even when he has played, he's made mistakes. And uh, uh, the mistake in the FA Cup semifinal was very, very costly. Um, and I was surprised um, later that week when uh, City were in the, uh, in the League Cup final against Tottenham that Guardiola went with Steffen. Uh, he's given Steffen all the cup matches, as, as you mentioned. And I thought, okay, well, that mistake by Stefan is so costly that when you're in a cup final, you probably want to just go back mm-hmm. to Ederson, your number one keeper. But Guardiola played him in that match, and Spurs didn't do much, and, and he, got, he you know, got the win, he got the trophy, right, the, the medal for winning the League Cup. But um, he has a mistake in him, it, it seems like, maybe every other time he plays. And that was one again today. So maybe for um, the U.S.'s sake, maybe it is every other game. So we won't have a mistake in them on Sunday, whether it's Costa Rica or Mexico that we face. But, um, yeah, I, I'm concerned about him. And especially given Ethan Horvath, uh, just for a second, Dan, let's mention Horvath on Saturday, on Sunday, against a very good Swiss team, a Swiss team that has mm-hmm. – maybe their attackers aren't so good, but Switzerland team that has a really good – midfield uh, with guys like Nielsen Fernandez and Dennis Nakari. I think they might surprise some people in the Euros this summer. Um, Horvath made every right decision. Granted, it was a friendly. It wasn't a competitive match like this, but against a really high-level team. Again, a team that uh, keep an eye on Switzerland in the Euros. I think they might surprise some people. Um, he had a very good match. And Horvath hasn't played regularly at Bruges either, right? Simone Mignole uh, beat him out. But Horvath's rust didn't show in that game the way we see from Stefan. So I am concerned about it. And if you're going to uh, go with a keeper who's not playing regularly, then you need to go with the keeper um, because you have two guys. Your top two keepers are not playing regularly right now. They're both backups at their clubs. And they're, and they're both at big clubs, right? Bruges uh, is top club in Belgium and uh, in the Champions yep. League. Same thing, obviously, Man City is one of the top clubs in the world. You have to make the decision based on who plays better for you in national team matches if neither guy is playing regularly. And right now, I think Greg Berhalter actually has a decision to make. He's not going to make it 
up for Sunday. We know that. But I think Horvath, Horvath has come in rusty a couple times to national team camp and still looked good. Uh, Stephanie, there have been questions about. Uh, but we know part of Burhalter's thinking on this is not um, he's into keepers that play with their feet and can move the ball quickly. Um, and Stefan is better at that than Horvath. But in terms of a pure shot stopper in reading the game, I think uh, he's falling a little bit behind us. Yeah, that's how I feel too. All right, guys, we're going to take a caller uh, here in this postgame show, USA Honduras uh, CONCACAF Nations League postgame show. A four seven nine one seven. you are on. What is your question for the panel? Um, I don't know, Mike. I think my question would be whether – if Burhalter's chair is heating up, because, you know, if I'm looking at the performance today, it's just you've got a group of players that do not play up to their fully capabilities, and that's falls squarely on the manager. And Cardick, would you like to answer that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, repeat the question. I, I got the, the last part, which is what falls on the manager. But I'm saying you were asking about Berhalter, Go ahead, go ahead. Let's say, like, if, if we play Mexico, right, I think that, Let's say Mexico, whatever. Let's say we lose to Mexico, or let's say we put another poor performance with Mexico. I mean, is Burhalter, I mean, is this a fire Burhalter, you know, type of moment where it's like this isn't good enough? We've we've given them three years now. We haven't seen the progression. You know, we, it's, it's it's either now or never until Gold Cup and the World Cup qualifying. Yeah, I I don't think um, we're we're there in terms of if he doesn't win the Nations League. Now, if World Cup qualifying starts badly, then that's, that's another issue. The, the, the big concern here, and I, I think in the national team, it's very weird what the U.S. is doing, because even um, when you talk to other people about international football, you really can't implement a system top-down from the national team uh, that is in place at the clubs that these guys are playing for. So, uh, the, the process where Berhalter has got the U.S. playing stylistically like Ajax or, or Barcelona are trying to do that, when a lot of these guys don't play in those sorts of systems at their clubs. Most of them don't, actually. Um, you know, like I said, I, I've watched a lot of uh, Tyler Adams at Leipzig under Donaldson. They don't play the same way the U.S. plays. Um, the, 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 it, it, it confuses the issue now because now I think there's a fear that if you sack Berhalter, if the results don't get any better. Because, yeah, I would agree in terms of actual performances from the U.S., there's not really a progression in the three years he's been in the job. Um, they, they, there's, there'll be this concern that you're, change, you're trying to change the system so it's a process, and you have to let the process play out. So while I think, uh, yeah, if, if, if the U.S. loses Sunday uh, to Mexico or Costa Rica, uh, if it's Mexico, I think it's likely a loss. If it's Costa Rica, it, 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 may, it may not be. But, um, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure. I agree with you that, that, that people are going to be raising the, the issue, but I don't think it would happen until World Cup qualifying. If World Cup qualifying starts bad, badly in the octagonal, um, there'll be a quick trigger. So if the U.S. starts the octagonal and is, is, is sitting in fourth or fifth after uh, a couple match days, then you might see uh, a sacking made or, or, or a change made. Now, um, <laughs> the big question is then, do you have to continue with a manager that plays this system, or would you have to go to just whoever the best available manager is and is going to organize your team properly? So um, that's, uh, that, that, that's the big question, right? I mean, if you go to, back to a pragmatic manager, the U.S. US Soccer Federation has said, oh, well, we want to have this style of play. But um, clearly some of our guys have trouble with it. So, and actually I think that's a great point about tonight's game. 
I think part of the U.S.'s problem came from the fact that their guys at the back, when Honduras counterpresses, um, the U.S. back line, especially without Adams in front of them as a security blanket, they have all kinds of trouble playing out of the back when, uh, when the other side counterpresses. And if uh, they thought tonight was scary, if they play Mexico on Sunday, it's going to be really scary because Mexico has guys um, really fit, aggressive, midfielders, particularly in wide areas, that will close down that space and probably cause mistakes from the, from the U.S. back line. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree because, see, here's my thing about with Mexico, if they do face them on Sunday, which I'm assuming they will, um, is this. You know, it's not so much it's the players that Mexico has. It's not just the players that um, the U.S. has. I just believe that Tata Martino is a better tactician than Greg Berhalter. Until Greg Berhalter finds a way to defeat Tata Martino, Mexico is going to be dominating all day long, all night long. So it doesn't matter what's going to happen, um, whether it be on Sunday night, if it is against Mexico, if they're going to face Mexico in the final, maybe somewhere before the final in the Gold Cup in July. We'll have to wait and see next month. Or when they face them twice in World Cup qualifying, whether it be, you know, if they go back to Columbus or they go to the Estadio Azteca. In my mind, and, you know, look, I'm not trying to slight Per Halter, but in reality, it's the truth. Uh, Tata Martino is a better tactician at this moment than Greg Berhalter. Whether it be in friendlies, Gold Cup finals, soon we're going to find out, you know, in a Nations League final if it's going to happen. World Cup qualifying, if it's going to happen. I really believe that Tata Martino is much better, and he has had better players, whether he was, uh, you know, managing Argentina. Uh, you know, Lionel Messi, obviously, he's, he's handled Messi. He's brought in great talent uh, when he was managing Atlanta United for those two years, got the title, that MLS Cup in their second season. Of course, we know about Joseph Martinez. We know about some of those, uh, you know, South American players that have come over to play for Atlanta United over at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I just feel that Berhalter, and I'm not trying to slight him, but at times I feel he's a one-trick pony when it comes to tactics. He absolutely is. And not to mention that Berhalter doesn't have an MLS Cup, okay? He's got an MLS Cup final where Columbus Crew laid an egg. The minute he left, um, Porter won an MLS Cup in him. Well, that, that's like, Martino's got an MLS Cup, and he's got one in the last years that Berhalter's managing the crew. And not to mention that you can say all that you want about Mexico and how we're more talented than them or whatever, is that it doesn't, right now, the U.S. players, they're, I mean, they're barely getting production out of Pulisic, Sergeant, Random, McKinney, Death. Death has had two shockers in a row, you know? It's John John Brooks was the best John Brooks the best service out of all the US men's national team forwards today. And that is an issue. And Tacho Martino is gonna get the best out of the players he's got. He's gonna get the best out of and he's got a system that works for them. A system that's gonna get the have a system that's gonna get the best out of Pulisic. Pulisic had another shocker day. Yeah, say what you want about him being tired, but he was terrible. He was terrible. And I mean, to be honest, this team I think they're gonna get absolutely hammered by that. Tata Martino, yes. he will. He knows how to manage. He knows how to manage a team. He knows how to get the best of his players. The U.S. aren't barely getting anything out of their players right now. I mean, they're just not. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me remind everyone. Tata got, Martino got Paraguay to the quarterfinals of the World Cup and, and had them uh, also doing really well. I mean, at one point in that 
uh, qualifying cycle, the 2010 cycle, they were top of uh, Carnival, and they finished ahead of Argentina. I want to say Brazil uh, and maybe Uruguay eventually. Oh, no, Uruguay, no, I think they finished ahead of Uruguay, too. I, I think they finished second or third in South America that time. And so he's able to take any group of players and mold them and, and be pragmatic tactically. Yeah, I, I agree on a lot of the U.S. performances. Um, John Brooks, by the way, to me, was the best American player in Europe this year. I know we've heard a lot about Pulisic, but what Brooks did at Wolfsburg and getting Wolfsburg uh, into Champions League, helping to lead that back line, I thought was tremendous. He's continued that. Uh, he continued that today. He didn't look so great against Switzerland, but again, Switzerland, really high-level opponent. I, I think in terms of Pulisic with the national team, this system doesn't suit him. So um, this system is very reliant on on um, quick, quick, uh, uh, you know, passing out into wide areas and then also uh, playing out of the bat that way. I think where, where Christian Pulisic is the most dangerous when I've seen him for Dortmund and for um, Chelsea, and actually even for us before Berhalter was a manager, is when you are putting him in situations where he's going one-on-one with guys or he's playing nice little passing triangles with, you know, in this case it would be Sergeant Arena. Though There's no such tactical setup in this U.S. system for him to do that. So I, I agree. I, I don't think Pulisic has looked particularly good of late for the U.S. He's certainly looked better for Chelsea than he has for the U.S. And I think it's a byproduct of the system. Um, and I, I would agree with uh, that about Weston McKinney. I, I'm worried about McKinney now at Juventus because Pirlo's been sacked and, and uh, uh, Allegri, who I, I think plays just awful football as a manager, <laughs> he's coming in. And I don't think that's going to suit McKinney's game and his development. I, I really like him being under Andrea Pirlo. But what I saw this season from him at Juventus was a player that could go box to box, could carry the ball at times, you know, hold the ball for Juventus and bring other guys into play, uh, not really play like this sort of shield. What I'm seeing from him under Verhalter with the U.S. is this guy that's um, expected to, like, uh, take one and two touches and pass and then move into space. And it's um, – I don't know. I just don't I, – I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think the system is suiting these guys. Now, now, that, you, now that we're talking about it in depth, um, uh, a lot of the players it, 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 it's not a great system for. I think Brooks is going to – Brooks, as I said, had such a great year at Wolfsburg. I think he's coming off that year. He's going to look good in any system. But maybe even for him, it would be better if there were another system as a center back that he was playing in where he, uh, um, he could play a little differently with maybe with a little more comfort. Yeah, and then, and then I mean, uh, also what the also you also have to consider too is that when a lot of people are saying like, yeah, I mean Jackson Yule is obviously not you know the solution for CDM and how fragile they look in transition. Well, if you're making a system right, you got to take into account that you don't have any CDM depth. So if you're trying to play a system and you and you're you're in Jackson Yule is you're saying okay we don't have we don't have Tyler Adams this entire thing has gone to shit like that's I mean what like what. Like this is this is the national team. Like this is this is international soccer for you. It's the most unpredictable thing in soccer. Nobody knows what the hell's gonna happen. Nobody knows who's in form. Nobody knows who's hurt and who's not hurt. I mean Dempsey said it in the athletic article the other day. So you've got a system that's a one trick pony that's saying we need Adams McKinney, Pulisic, you know, these guys always on the field, they gotta be in this position. Like it's just I mean, that's club soccer. This is the national team. I remember when Bro Houther first came in and they had that loss against Canada. One of the issues was that there were so many passing patterns that they clearly couldn't execute, and they were really struggling to put out of the back. I'm not sure if that's still an issue today. I haven't seen it, but that's just, like, it's a continuation of that idea that, like, I, if people are worried, and I think it's a lot of 
an issue a lot of people have is that Burt Halter doesn't know how to manage an international team because managing an international team is so much more different than managing a club team and obvious, for obvious reasons. Yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah, you make a great point. Passages of play, we're not seeing uh, the progression in that. And then as far as the flexibility with positions, so that's a, that's a basic thing with international management. Uh, even looking at these Euro squads that have been picked the last few days. I mean, we've had all kinds of coverage of the England squad. And I've watched some of Southgate's press conferences, and he keeps talking about, well, I can play Reese James at right center back or right back, and I can play Kieran Trippier at left back if I need to. And if I need this guy to step into the midfield, I can do that. He's really looking at, like, he's picking a team based on guys. Now, granted, they're going into a big tournament, right, and the squad is locked. So he has to be, he has to be really – pragmatic about it, but Southgate is picking a team for England, and, gra- and granted England has better players than we do. I'm not, I'm not pretending we're at the same level, but he's picking a team, listening to him, based on different positions the guys can play, and when he had to make those final cuts, basically if a guy could only play one position, he was cutting them, because he wanted guys that if someone is hurt at, at center defensive mid, in this case, like Adams, uh, and he's got that issue with Jordan Henderson, if someone can slide in there that maybe doesn't play there naturally. Berhalter doesn't seem to have that ability to think that way, right? He's not able to say, okay, maybe I should pick a guy for my team that maybe he's a, he's a backup right back, but he could slide into uh, that, that number six position, that CDM position seamlessly if Adams is out. So his system seems very dependent on like a club team, right? That guy's playing six positions and you don't have a transfer budget. You can't go out and find guys to fill spots, uh, uh, yeah, so, exactly. yeah, I, I'm actually, all the points you're making are really good now that we're, we're talking about it. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. No, I agree. And I really think that uh, Berhalter is not thinking like an international coach. I think he's thinking more as a club coach. And I think, I mean, you can get away with it in club play, basically, whether it's an MLS, Premier League. You know, you can get away with some of those problems or those mistakes if you have someone to fill in those spots. But when you're talking about international play, you know, you can't make a mistake like that because that's going to glorify the errors that is out on the pitch. And then everyone's going to pick apart everything. Obviously, we've seen half of a good job and we've seen the half of a bad job. But once again, it's a situation where if Burhalter's not going to learn from this, we're going to keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over. Now, granted, they didn't get burned by it tonight, but on a better side, and I'll say this right now, I think Mexico is better uh, against the U.S. at this moment, but you're trying to avoid that, you know, unless you're lucky enough to get Adams back out there or have someone who has the same abilities as Tyler Adams to play that position and prevent Mexico from trying to sneak in or even Honduras to try and sneak in. Because if you're not going to have a Tyler Adams out there, you're going to get burned. And I think that's the one thing that is really missing here. And regardless of what the U.S. You know, Federation thinks, no matter what U.S. soccer thinks, that they have their man, they may not have their man to run and manage these players because his system is that important that's missing a cog and you can't get someone that can fill in until Adams returns from injury. Yeah. So that's all I can say about that, guys. Well, yeah, but that's, that's, that's an issue because, again, I, I'm not saying the U.S. has the depth in the player pool that England does. We don't. But 
I watched Southgate's press conferences the last two days as he selected his squad, and everything was about, okay, we know we have an injury concern with Henderson. We know we have an injury concern with McGuire. We know we have an injury concern with Marcus uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Greenwood has had to pull out of the, the squad now. We know Rashford and Sterling are coming off the Champions League final. So, we're, so basically, we are picking a squad based on guys who might be able to slide into those positions. Uh, Jaden Sancho Dill, that's another one. We have, a, we have guys that are able to slide into those positions. I pick my squad partly. It's not necessarily the 26 best players. I pick my squad based on partly guys who can slide into those positions. What Burhalter seems to be doing, except when it came to playing Tyler Adams at right back, um, is that you have a fixed position and you have to play in that fixed position. And that's um, – but Eduardo mentioned earlier, maybe Kellen Acosta should be starting. And I, and I agree with that. I mean, again – um, if you don't have Tyler Adams, you have to make some sort of contingency. You've got to make some sort of uh, – you have, you have to make do with what you have because you don't – it's not a club team. You can't go and buy a player and make a transfer. So I, I, I am really concerned about the fact that every time Adams is injured, the U.S. has a problem. Let's face it. I mean, we could go back uh, – I can't think offhand, but we could go back through the performances the last two years, uh, going back to when Adams was injured before the Gold Cup in 2019. We could go back, and every single time Tyler Adams isn't in the team, the U.S. has some sort of problem in midfield. So this is, a, this is something that has not been addressed, and you maybe have to take a guy who's a natural central defender or a natural right back and begin using him in central midfield. I mean, we've seen that uh, over and over again. We've seen David Luiz step into midfield. We've seen John Stone step into midfield in emergency cases, uh, just speaking of some players internationally. Uh, you know, Philip Wong stepped into midfield. He was a right back. Uh, there seems to be no planning for this, this potential. And it's, uh, it, 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 I think, a problem that if it isn't addressed this summer is, might really bite the U.S. in qualifying. Because given Adam's injury record the last two and a half years, since he left New York, really, um, the, uh, the, uh, the probability of him playing all – uh, however many, what is it, 14 qualifiers, and the octagonal is very minimal. So let's say he misses four of those qualifiers. It's possible the U.S. Um, are in a situation where they're clawing and fighting for, quali- for qualification because of his injury. Um, and, and we know, like, uh, subsequently Bruce Arena has said, hey, if I had John Brooks in qualifying, you know, the last four games of qualifying, we would have qualified, but he got hurt in, in, in the Bundesliga, and I didn't have him for the last – so, I mean, we already have these ready-made excuses about injuries. You have to be prepared for it. And, and I think, particularly with the Tyler Adams situation, the U.S. doesn't seem to have any other answers of who to play in uh, def- a defensive midfield role. And they, don't, they can't decide whether they want a guy who's going to pass the ball side to side or whether they want a guy who's going to take someone's legs out. So uh, that's another issue. I mean, the thing with Adams is he's so graceful and he's so smart as a player in the way he reads the game. He's a great passer of the ball, but he's also a great defensive player. He doesn't have to take guys' legs out maybe the way Pablo Mastroeni and Chris Armas did in the past. He's a guy that reads the game and gets to the ball first before the attacking player. And right now we don't have that. We don't have anyone else in the pool that can do that job, uh, to be perfectly blunt about it. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can do. So, listen, thanks for calling in. I uh, hope you call in again soon, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for the phone call. Yeah, take care, guys. All right, take care. And 
Uh, Eduardo Solano, of course, uh, had to leave, so he already left uh, our show. But I just wanted to say it was great to have him on and get a Honduras perspective uh, from the opposition. That and I have to say, outside of our complaints about <laughs> Burhalter, which we are having, and you know it's not great. I, I think what we can say, Cardick, is is this: that there were times the U.S. got lucky uh, on the defensive end of things. Um, they were a bit unlucky on the offensive side of things, but. They stuck with it, and they did well, and they were able to get the result that they were looking for. They got their goal. It came very, very late, unless there were moments that Sergeant – I'll tell you that this card, if Sergeant – and I know Reyna thought he got fouled. I, it looked like a foul to me. Why it wasn't whistled, I don't know. But I will say this. Advantage was played, and if Sergeant's rip in that second half – didn't, if it did go in, my God, the entire place would have gone ballistic over in Denver at uh, Mile High. That was unbelievable to watch. I mean, look, we can complain till the cows come home, and we probably still will complain after Sunday night. We'll see what happens, though. But in all honesty, Cardick, they got the result. They looked really good in the opening 45. They lacked a bit in the closing 45. But if it wasn't for John Brooks and Weston McKenney, to, of course, start that attack uh, with that ball by Brooks to McKenney and a great cross by McKenney finding Sibichu in front and burying that ball with his, with his power header. You know, we'd be right now talking about what would have happened during the penalty kick shootout. Yeah, I was just in a penalty kick shootout last night uh, in PASL. So late last night between Palm Beach Stars and, uh, and Boca Raton FC. And actually, Chad Ostracinco showed up uh, to the match uh, to cheer on <laughs> Boca Raton FC. Uh, which is kind of cool, and he was sitting right by the sub bench during penalty kicks. So, so I, I didn't want to deal with the tension of penalty kicks two straight nights. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> Sabaju I really want to highlight, because, again, as I said, he, he's a player that it, it went bad for him at Ren. Um, he got a loan move, which is what you're talking about Stefan needs to do, and um, that loan move to young boys has revived his career and has put him in the U.S. picture. Not only in the U.S. picture now, now clearly he's, he, he, he's going to be – part of the U.S. squad in qualifying. I think, yeah, you know, today's goal, because it's not just the fact that he scored a goal, right? Got a lot of guys score goals. And the American fans sometimes get carried away when guys score goals. But the, the, the quality of that goal and the timing of that goal, and to make that particular run, that's a guy who's playing at a high level right now at a European club in young boys that has won their league, uh, were, uh, went deep in Europa League, will be in Champions League next year. I'm hoping he can secure a permanent move there. Uh, unless Ren now have them in, in, in their plans. So uh, I, that, that was good. And I think a lot of Sargent's work off the ball was really good today. I, I really liked some of the things we saw from Josh Sargent. But, again, like I said earlier, Sargent has this problem. I've watched a lot of him at Turner, and I kept defending him, right? I mean, people who see my Twitter say, you're always saying, oh, he's so good, he, but he doesn't score goals. And I, I basically say he does everything but score goals. But the reality is Sargent, like Timo Werner, a guy uh, we've seen endless complaints about from Chelsea fans, right, and media the last couple right. months, uh, he needs like five chances to score a goal. I mean, I, I, I'll be perfectly blunt about it. I mean, if he gets one chance in the game, he's not going to score. If he gets three chances in the game, he's probably not going to score. Um, now, his chance creation rate is pretty high because he does all those little things well. So this is where I have a dilemma because I do think – you probably get more goals, out-and-out goals from Sivaccio if he starts. Or if you maybe play with a false nine, play Pulisic at the false nine, or bring Giacci Sardis back into the team, play him um, as kind of a – I mean, I guess you could play him as an out-and-out striker. Uh, Joe Dialtador is no longer in the picture. So I 
think you get more goals probably if it's a Zardes or a Zibachi. However, I think you create more chances if it's Sargent. Not, so I, what I mean is you get more goals from the striker position. But I think you probably create more chances if Sargent is up there. And with Gio Reyna, with Christian Pulisic, with Brendan Aronson, with Timmy Weah, who, by the way, um, he, he didn't start, right? He, he, he got to start a few matches when Jonathan David, the, the American-born Canadian international, was hurt. But they won the French League, uh, Jonathan David and, and Timmy Weah. What will? So he's a guy who's in the picture, too. Um, uh, Julian Green, got, uh, he actually scored the winning goal for Gruther Fourth as they got promoted to the, to the Bundesliga. I think Julian Green will be back in this picture um, in, in the near future if he continues his progression. Um, so those guys, the Greens, the Aronsons, the Pulisic's, the, uh, the Reynas, um, the Weah, they will, they will feast off having Sargent as that number nine. So maybe the U.S. scores more goals when Sargent plays, but he's not going to get there. So I, I, this is a learning process for U.S. fans, because U.S. fans have this thing where they think the number nine – have to score goals, right? And that they're very critical mm-hmm. of anybody who doesn't score goals who's playing as a striker. Yep. And they'll say they'll say things like, "Oh, well, if you're a striker, you have to score goals." Well, yeah, I mean, if you're an out-and-out goal scorer like a Harry Kane, or you know, quote, example closer to home for you, a Bradley Wright Phillips. But there are things Sargent does that makes other guys around him better. So I don't, I don't think this is a, a I don't want to have this discussion which I think we're on the precipice of having, which is like, well, Josh Sargent doesn't score goals. He can't, he can't, be, he can't be the starting striker. I, 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 I'm not saying I'm saying he must be. I think Sibachi was made a case. And I think maybe if you feel Timmy Weah as a, as a false nine or, or, or um, uh, uh, Jaius Cesardis or, or, or even, you know, maybe when Julian Green, I guess Julian Green did get recalled for the Switzerland game, just didn't play. But uh, uh, Julian Green, Maybe they will. Maybe they will score more goals individually. But I don't think. I, I don't. I, I'm not ready to say you need to move on from Josh Sargent. I know a lot of people are saying that. So. Um, oh no. Create chances, but just, just be prepared. He's not going to score that many goals, and you just have to understand his game is so much more well-rounded in terms of. I mean, we have. Have we had an American striker like this? I'm trying to think if we've had a guy that that used to be able to do all these little things well. Um, you know, a fool, but wouldn't score goals. Who was an out-and-out striker? I mean, I can't think of one offhand. I mean, I think, uh, I think maybe Brian Ching would be the closest example to it. But 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 Sargent certainly playing at a higher level than that. But that that's like the comparison in terms of style of player. Because we we didn't expect Ching to score goals, right? We but we we no. we knew he, we knew Ching and Landon Donovan will tell you this flat out uh, about Ching. Playing with Brian Ching made Landon Donovan better. Probably yeah. made Clint Dempsey better also. Probably made Josie Altidore better. Reno, and so I didn't play with Josie that much, but probably made, you know, the other guys that were playing on that team, Eddie Johnson, Taylor Twelve, and those guys probably made him better. Um, so I, I think there has to be a recognition of what Sargent is because I, 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 uh, I tend to get off Twitter during these U.S. games now, but I had a couple of DMs from people telling me why you, you're, it's a good decision to get off Twitter because I mean, we know you like Sargent, and man, U.S. fans are just killing, <laughs> killing the guy. So, yeah. Well, I I would I I would never do that. That's for sure. I would never kill Sargent. I want him to succeed. I want him to do well. So you don't have to worry about me on that part. But I want to quickly say this, um, and we usually don't talk about the broadcast. Or real quickly, 
What's yeah. your opinion about the broadcast tonight? What do you think about the the, uh, the studio show with uh, Kate Abdo, Guchan uh, Yewu, Clint Dempsey, now a broad now a broadcaster, and uh, Charlie Davies? What do you think? Yeah, CBS is, is is just really hitting some some high notes between NWSL and the Champions League. Uh, they've done a good job so far with the Argentine League. Actually, they they share a broadcaster with us with PASL, our guy who did our game last year. Last year. Yesterday night, Klaus German is one of their lead guys for uh, Argentine League. Tonight was really good because I thought Deuce is, so, is, is brutally honest. I think he's a guy yep. that we knew he wasn't going to be a cheerleader. And he, and, he, and he tells it like it is. I like Gooch. I've seen Gooch do these games before. Uh, actually, he, Gooch has never done U.S. stuff, right? He did uh, Champions League on Turner. And, but he's good. He, he right. analyzes his stuff well. Uh, Charlie Davies is getting better. He, he, he's had a... I thought he had a slow start when he started at Fox. But, um, yeah, I thought the broadcast was very good. Dre Cordero calling the match, a guy I, I know pretty well. Um, CBS mm-hmm. is hitting a high note with, with this stuff. And, by the way, uh, they have just acquired the Asian Champions League, both on the men's and women's yep. side as of today. So that's another property that we yep. on, on, on CBS. And, Daniel, I got, next, time, next time they do one of these calls, I'm going to make sure you get invited to it because, uh, yeah, I, I know you, you, you'd like to see – like to see what they're doing, and it's incredible the commitment CBS has made for soccer. I mean, two, to, uh, one of the first games CBS broadcast in this sport in 30 years, I actually was the broadcaster for, which was an NASL game between Jacksonville and Fort Lauderdale. Oh, yeah, I remember. I um, remember your they, TV debut. Yeah, they had a. They had I, a, I TVR'd uh, it. I watched it. <laughs> oh, thank you, Daniel. There was a. There was a. Uh, they had a 10 game NASL package. And I obviously having formerly worked for the league, they got in touch with me and I did a few of the games for them, the ones in Florida, the Jacksonville games and the Fort Lauderdale games. Um, but yep. it was, um, they have been basically out of the, without the exception of those 10 games, they've basically been out of the soccer business completely since the 1970s. And they jumped back in head first. NWSL, they started with, uh, champ, well, they got Champions League rights first, but NWSL, because yes. of, uh, you know, the, but NWSL started before that. So they got, they broadcast that first, and then Champions League, and they just built all these properties. Also, they're going to have Serie A next season. I'm really excited about um, what I think is uh, uh, what what I, I understand their plans are for Serie A, and uh, Coppa Italia is moving over there. Um, so, the, very very exciting stuff from CBS, and, and I have to say on the broadcast front, also ESPN has some really big plans for the Euros. Um, Reese Davis will be their studio host. Uh, their top broadcast team will be uh, John Champion and Taylor Coleman. They're also going to have Ian Dark and uh, and Stuart Robson as as a, as a London-based team, and uh, they've got some really exciting plans for the Euros. So that's uh, starting in uh, almost. Geez, Euros are starting right around the corner. Euros are starting in eight days, um, and then we've got uh, Nations League, and then we've got the Gold Cup. It's going to be a really busy summer. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be fantastic. And Cardick. Uh... I just want to say, as always, I'll see, I'll talk to you again Sunday night. Uh, give you the Sunday time night, of the yeah. show, and uh, that's going to be great. Uh, if, uh, Ten to one, it'll be USA Mexico. If not, USA Costa Rica, USA advancing into the uh, Concacaf Nations League final. Uh, waiting for the winner of this one. Of course, right now it's uh, national anthem time between Costa Rica and Mexico. So then they'll get underway and watch the rest of it on TUDN, of uh, course, or Univision. Uh, Paramount Plus maybe as well. We'll see what happens. But let me just say, yeah, yeah, Paramount Plus. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, so far, 
I like what I see with CBS Broadcasting Soccer again, and uh, let's hope they keep on going with it and uh, more domestic leagues if possible. We'll see what happens. It could be a battle between them and ESPN. We'll have to wait and see. But thank you again, Kardec, and I'll talk to you on Sunday night. Great. Thank you much. Thank you. And uh, once again, thanks to Eduardo Solano for joining me tonight. Carter Krishnar World Soccer Talk as well. This is Daniel Feuerstein. This has been the CONCACAF Nations League semifinal postgame show. United States once again defeating Honduras by a final of a goal to nil. Jordan Sibichu converts that chance. Join us on Sunday night for the finals postgame show. The United States is awaiting the final between Costa Rica and Mexico. Don't forget, this Friday night, MPSL Soccer Show at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. As always, please enjoy your football. Have a good night, everybody.